Hey, good morning, Shavuot Tov. Today's daf is daf Yud Zayin. We'll go from the second last line of uh, Ted Zayin, uh, 16b. I think, I don't know if you did the sugi just before this one, but it was very, huh? Which is quite interesting with, uh, can you tell them that someone's not able to fulfill the mitzvah of tzedakah by, uh, um, by anyone who goes to them, it's someone, in a, it's someone who doesn't really deserve tzedakah. There's a whole discussion around that is what you mean, I'm trying to do the mitzvah. If I don't know that, you know, that they're deserving or not, how far is your responsibility? I personally believe that it is a responsibility to, uh, yeah, you have to weigh it up. You know, you're driving past a beggar, you jump and say, no, I'm not giving him tzedakah because he's going to spend it on uh, drugs and alcohol. Very common line for people who want to not give tzedakah. Or maybe that's a reasonable suspicion. Are you, like, entitled? And how far do you have to look into? I do think organizations, I think if you want, I think it's a little bit of a responsibility of someone when they're giving charity to check that it's going to an organization that is using it uh, productively, obviously. There's There's an amazing number, I don't remember what it is, um, of like these big, especially I think the bigger they get, often the lower it gets, how many cents on the dollar goes to the charity. So when you give to the Bill Gates Foundation or, uh, you know, United Nations, uh, Human Rights uh, Assistant, whatever these things are. I mean, but I think it's with lots of, it's probably, you can ask the same question about the chayv and yada or anything. How many cents on the dollar are actually going to the charity? I think look for these for it to be effective you need someone to run them so you need to be paying salaries and they need the infrastructure and stuff so it's completely reasonable that uh, some of so it's going it's into the upkeep of the institution but at some point you have to say well let's rather not have the institution and uh, then okay so then they carry so it's, we mentioned Chizkiyahu the great king, we mentioned how he spread Torah throughout of B'nai Israel. It was very interesting, the method he used is he basically set up swords, uh, guards by every base midrash, and he said if you leave, you get stabbed. That was, I mean, at least the one midrash. I was trying to think nowadays if I try something like that with my students, because um, <laughs> we need to come, <laughs> no, it's not going to, we need to come up with a way that they want to learn more than that they're forced to learn, but at some, maybe, uh, maybe we should try that. Uh, they set up a yeshiva on his grave. One said they set up the yeshiva for three days, one said seven days, and one said 30 days. Interesting, at stages in the morning process. Um, three days, Shiva and uh, Shlosh and Shloshim. Um, interesting enough, there's a desire, oh, you're allowed to set up a Yeshiva on a grave. We, ge- we have a general principle, you don't do mitzvahs within Dalad Amos of the deceased because it's mocking them because they can no longer do the mitzvahs. So Tostas here, so that doesn't mean literally on top, that means. Um, yeah, that's where. Oh, sorry. This is it's just the beginning of the Tosos. It's the last Tosos on the page. He says, Shoshubi says, look, why did they set up Yeshiva on his grave? Why did they want to see that as an appropriate uh, memorial to do for him? So he says, <laughs> because he increased Torah in Chelek, as it says, you could go from uh, Dan to Be'er Sheva, 
ולא מוצו איש ואישה תינוק ותינוק שלא מדביקים בטומא, בטהרה. From one end of Eretz Israel to the other, I think we must, I don't know if it's inappropriate or appropriate, but we must uh, adopt the phrase for ourselves, from the river to the sea, every child, no man, woman or child did not know the laws of Tum and Tahara. could discuss that, which if you think about it, I mean, Tahara is the most uh, harder section. So, uh, so he was very, in his, uh, his process of education was very, very successful. And then the point I was just bringing out, says, Bilal, Kivro Mama, it can't be that they put it literally by his grave. Must be at a distance of four Amos. So nearby his, uh, his grave they set up this uh, yeshiva because otherwise you would transgress mocking the poor, mocking someone who can't do the mitzvahs. That's why we don't wear our tzitzis out. In the days when they used to wear tefillin all day, they wouldn't wear their tefillin into a cemetery within Dalit Amos. So he's so to toss say that. Others argue and say, no, where it's for the honor or for the merit of the deceased, then you can. And that's a famous thing too. When you go, people often say to heal him when they go visit a grave. But isn't that loyeg laroche? So it's not mocking when it's done in honor of or for the schus of the deceased. I mean, that's interesting. Can I say, okay, my, my mitzvah today will be designated in the merit of uh, the mace and then go within Taladamos wearing my tzitzis out. I was, I was wondering how far you can take that aloha, but that's an interesting discussion there. Okay, let's carry on. So right at the top of Yudayim, says, Ton Rabbonon, Kovod Osala Bamoisa, they did, they honored him in his dead. Zeh Chizkiya Melech Yehuda, that's referring to Chizkiya, the king of Yehuda, Shiyot Salafon, Shloshim Vashisha Elef, Chalutzei Ketef, Divrei Rebuda. Rebuda said, that was because 36,000 people whose shoulders were bare went before him. There were 36,000 people who did Kriya in mourning for him, and I think they did, I don't know if this is in my mind, it sounds like they emphasized and they actually pulled it down so that it highlighted that they had done Kriya for him. Um, but they did that before Achav. That's not an honor to. That's like standard practice. They did it for Achav, one of the most evil kings. So that can't be what it means when it says they honored him. It says, They placed the Sefer Torah on his coffin. On his buyer, he fulfilled what is written in this one. So that's that's the honor they gave him. Very interesting. Why is this specifically honorable in the name for Chizkiyahu? So Chizkiyahu had actually a little bit of a dodgy past. He, uh, well, one aspect of it, he was, as I said, he was a phenomenally successful great king. They say in some ways he could have been Moshiach, but whatever happened, he wasn't able to. Um, he, but so that's Chizkia. But he had there was a point where he was very, very sick, and he, I think it was Yeshayahu and Nobi went up to him and said, "You, you know why? It's because he looked, he through Nevoa, he saw whose descendants would be, and they were these incredibly, incredibly evil kings." His sons. So he said, you know what, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to have children. Um, you can argue, is that selfish or is that righteous? Um, because uh, on the surface, I mean, it's, it's for, for someone to like disregard, I mean, this is Malchus based obviously, this would be the end of the divinic dynasty, arguably. Um, so on the one hand, you could say it's very selfish. On the other hand, you can say, look at the self-sacrifice he was for the righteousness and those who would leap in Israel in the right path. Um, but the one is, so because of that, Yishayahu came and spoke to him. He got very sick and he said, okay, I'm going to do tshuva. And he had children. They turned out to be incredibly evil. He was King Menashe. Um, incredibly, incredibly evil. And 
Um, and they come along on his death and they say, He fulfilled what is written in the Torah. Despite his personal understanding of the situation, he realized they have to follow what the Torah says. Very often, and maybe this is a little bit what we were discussing at the beginning, Mervyn, with the apologetics, very often we try like, well, uh, this is what would do me best and therefore I must fit it in with the Torah. No, Chizkiah said, okay, based on my calculation, I should not have. Torah says I must, that's the Novi's reminding me of, I'm going to, and they kept the Torah despite of what he, what he thought should be done. But even Nami Abdin, yeah. No, I was going to add something about him that's very appropriate today, yeah. this week, um, that um, when Israel went to war, there were those that didn't want to go to war that were learning, and he went and he put a sword into the entrance of the temple, and he said he ever stops learning I think he said that, who did that? Uh, okay, I mean the story in Achayla, if I remember correctly, the story is that he went by every base medrash and he said whoever leaves the base medrash will be killed. Yeah. Is there another one no, that he put it by the temple? What? I thought, it, I thought it was by the temple, the base medrash, I thought it was the Beit HaMikdash. Okay, he put it in there, he said whoever stops learning is as if it's treason when you stop learning during the war. I don't know if it was during the war, was it? Was it during the war? It, it was, was in general. War. I have, to check, I have to check that because I remember it as being the general source. Okay. okay. But that's not such a big deal. We do it nowadays. I mean, we don't do it anymore, but in the times of the Gemara, they obviously still did it. So, no, people take out the Sefer Torah, but to place it on the beer, that's a big step. He says, no, even nowadays. That's uh, some people place the Torah on the beer of the huge scholar. However, Kiem Lo Amrinan, they don't say Kiem. Uh, they place the Torah signifying he was so close to the Torah. And to put the Torah on him is not a disrespect to him in his death. Remember, um, in his death. But they don't say the phrase of he fulfilled everything that's written in this. We were walking by Rebbe, off the Rebbe Yochanan to ask him a question. And he went into the bathroom. Just before he went into the bathroom, we asked him. And he wouldn't answer until he washed his... Um, until he had washed his hands and put his tefillin back on and he said the bracha. And Vahadar Omar Lon, what did he say to us? What did he answer us? limud He says, no, we say kayam, but we don't say taught. Chizkiah, they not only did they say he fulfilled what is written in this, they say he taught what is written in this. And says, oh, Vahamamar God limud but don't we say great is Torah learning because it brings to action. I isn't saying that he fulfilled what is written in the Torah, a greater praise than saying he learned or taught what was written in the Torah, because fulfilling the mitzvahs is greater. Now the difference is to learn or to teach. I, to say someone learned Torah is not, obviously that's very great, I'm not taking away from that, but it's not as great as saying he kept what was written in the Torah. But to say someone taught Torah, now that's the greatest praise because they're enabling many, many people to fulfill mitzvahs. So that's the great praise for Chizkiah. There's a lot to discuss in this, but just two, two points. One is we said that he put on his tefillin and he said the bracha. What bracha? If it's, he should have said the bracha before. So if he says the bracha on tefillin, which is the simplest reading, he should have said the bracha before he put the tefillin on. So unless you want to say, um, 
that what it means is, you know how we put on our tefillin, you kind of put them in place, and then you say the bracha, and then you tighten them correctly. So maybe that's what it means, you kind of put on his tefillin in there, but it's a little bit difficult. Unless it's, it's being non-precise. It's interesting, I just saw in my notes that Moisif Rashi, now that's some Gomorrah's add in where Rashi comments on a similar point elsewhere. And it says there, Rashi says, Birkas Torah. Now that's very interesting because we only say Birkas Torah once in the morning. And whether you stop learning during the day or you take a break, you still rely on the broch you said. If I remember correctly, Rashi's opinion is that no, Birkas Torah is like any other mitzvah. Anytime you take a break from the mitzvah and you restart, you say a new bracha. So it would make perfect sense. Rabbi Yochanan went to the bathroom. He could no longer be learning Torah. So before he answered the halachic question, he says Birchas Torah. So I don't know if you'd say this is a proof for Rashi or we have a good explanation according to Rashi, but according to the others, it's a little bit difficult what, um, what bracha is he saying here. Okay, and then just interestingly, Tosa said, didn't we say in Kiddush in that? We, we deduced, uh, here we said, Godel Torah Shemavilidei, Godel Tamut Shemavilidei, Maaseh, great is learning because it brings to action, I action is greater. In Kiddushin we have made the opposite thing. Oh, well if learning brings to action, then learning is greater. So how do you resolve the question? Which one is it? And if you think about it, it's almost the, what's it, the chicken and the egg question. Learning is great because it brings to action. Oh, so action is the ultimate and it's the greatest. Or no, learning is so great because then you can act. Um, so he says, so here Tosos, there Tosos gives some answers, and here Tosos gives some answers. Let's just do Rabbeinu Tam's answer. So Rabbeinu Tam asks this question, so he asks the question, and then he says, it's kind of in the middle of the Tosos for Ha Omar Mar. And if you jump down, you know, so in the middle of the Tosos, the first word of the line is Godel. Maybe just under. And so the end of the line for Omar Rabbeinu Tam, Rabbeinu Tam says, Dahachi Perusha. The opinion which says limud is great because it gives to act, because it brings to action. Well, limud brings to action. We're saying here that he fulfilled what is written in the Torah, so we're saying that he actually learned. If not for the fact that he learned, how could he fulfill the Torah? Because learning brings to action. Right, so sometimes saying that, so you're right, the learning is greater, like we said, in, if I understand it correctly, you're right, the learning is greater, as it says in Kiddushin. But when you testify about someone that, like Chizkiah, that he kept the Torah, what are we saying? That he... Um, that, that he must have learned it. And therefore, it doesn't make that. But we haven't yet come on to the difference between learning and teaching. Okay. Um, okay, and then there are the curses, and as I said, there are other answers, but that was an answer. Very interesting. I was reading in uh, this book of essays I have by Rabbi Gifter just this morning, and uh, my, I remember my grandfather saying along the same lines. Obviously, you can do a mitzvah as soon as you know how to do it. You can pick up a lulav and shake it. You can put on tzitzis. But if it stems from your Torah learning, are you engaged with the Torah and that's where you're coming from when you're doing the mitzvah, it's a, it's a level of performing the mitzvah that you can't compare. And so to the greater your Torah learning and the greater depths of Torah learning you have behind the mitzvah, the higher the level of the mitzvah. So that would fit in very well with Rabbeinu Tam's answer when you pray someone like his for doing the mitzvah. You're not saying that he looked in... Uh, 
It's a Kitsu Shulchan Aruch, and therefore he knew how to do ritual practices. It's because he learned Torah, he absorbed it, and, he was, and the practice flowed from his Torah learning. I think obviously it's a high level, but it's something we must consider. Again, in Dafyomi it's hard because we're racing through a huge amount of uh, laws and halachas and logics and philosophies in, uh, in a short moment, but it is something we must consider in our Torah learning that, it, that our mitzvahs actually stem from the Torah we've learned. I think both on a very practical level, what's the halacha? So is it, you know the halacha just because you've read one line in a, in a ritual practice in Kitsu Shulchan Aruch? Or is it because you've gone into the sugi a little bit and you know a little bit of the background to the discussion of what, and why you're choosing like that? It's different you, from your wedding. Me and Rabbi Kay decided, your wedding, we decided to learn Mishnah Burah on uh, making Kiddush and how to do and how to fast and everything. That's make a big difference. Yeah. So in my mind, again, we're tying, we're going to end off a piece that ties us to the beginning of the parak. Remember when we said, how do we know what, that shilach is regal and beer is, uh, is uh, shame? And we brought the positive, but now we bring the garita on that. So happy is the one who sows by all water. The one who sends out the foot of the the ox and the donkey says, anyone who dealt into Torah he does he merits the brachas, the inheritance that two tribes receive. Shinemar as it says, Ashrechem Zorea, the Enzria Elatzadoka. Zria refers to Tzadoka. Shinemar says, Zuru Lochem Litzdoka Bekisru Lefichesed. So that's uh um, give tzedakah and you will sow it according to your, your harvest, according to your kindness. So that's where we see it's ziru is, and z- z- the word bezerah, sowing is an allusion to tzedakah and chesed. Ve'in ma'im el Torah. And ma'im is Torah. Shenemar is the positive. Anyone who is thirsty, go to, wa- to water. Um, and this I remember also my grandfather saying that we see that People, um, there's an aspect of how wondrous it is nowadays how many people are searching for Torah and going to learn. There's an unprecedented number, I mean, besides the number of Yeshiva Bachrim in Israel and around the world, probably more than ever in history. But even you see in uh, more secular studies, there's all these uh, projects and institutions and things that people are doing to get involved in Torah learning, Limud, the academy here. Um, there's a milk place, there's all these institutions, like hundreds and hundreds of people are just trying to get to learn Torah. Yeah, so we see, so when you're thirsty, you go to water. It says there's a little bit of a weakness in that. Is a thirsty person will accept anything to drink. And sometimes the quality or the level is not what you would hope because people are desperate and thirsty. But there, okay, we see that Mayim is, so you still have to be discerning on the, of the water you're drinking. South African, you something you know, um, but uh, that's so. So, but we see. Okay, so we've seen that someone who is involved in Chesed and Torah, they merit the Zoichel and Achla Shnei Shvatim, Zoichel Kila Yosef. They merit the canopy of Yosef. They merit the adornment. The I, I couldn't understand exactly, but I would say almost the protection and the beauty of Yosef. Dilsiva is written Ben Paras Yosef Benos Ara Alai Shur. Um, the charming Yosef, the daughters would climb onto the wall to watch him. The Zoichel and Achlas Yisachar, and we merit the wealth of Yisachar. Dilsiva, as it's written, Yisachar Chamol Goram. Yisachar is a literally a strong bone. 
but the Targum translates Goram there, and Rashi brings the Targum as Atir Benachosim, wealthy, Chamur Goram as wealthy in assets. So therefore you'll get wealth. So you get this Poras, uh, Ben Poras, you get the Kilo of Yosef and the wealth of Yisachar. It's the Omri, some have a slightly different version. Oivov Noifle Lefon of Kli Yosef, his enemies fall before him, like Yosef, Dechsev Vohem Amim Yinogach, Yachtov Atzle Oret. Bezoichel Abineki Yisachar, and he merits to have the level of depth of wisdom like you saw as it's written a lot of the Sanhedrin came from Yisachar they knew how to work out the calendars etc they were very very um, great in wisdom Okay, Hadron Loch Arba Avos Hadron Loch Arba Avos Hadron Loch Arba Avos let's start the second parak of the okay, the second parak of Abakama and we're continuing from where we left off on the damages. As we mentioned before, remember in the first few daf in this period we've been drawing from the whole Masechta starting to fill out our understanding of the of the different Avos Nezikin and now the next few Prokim are going to be elaborating on them. And uh, that's why you start off Ketzar Haregel Mo'edes Tosfos point out um Tosos point out, we're going back on the Mishnah on Tez Vovamud Beis, where we said, um, etc. So that's where we left off, and now we're carrying on from there. Um, so, Ketara Regum Wedes. What is Regal considered Muad? Le Shaber Bederechilucho. When it breaks by way of walking. So that's Habahema Mu'edes, and an animal is Mu'ed, Lahale Kedarko, when it's walking along its way. The Gemara is going to ask, what do you mean? Why do you say, how is the Regal Mu'ed, and how is the Bahema Mu'ed? And we give one is the Shaber, and one is to walk, both along its way. What's the difference? So the Gemara will go into that. So, Hoysor Mava'etza, so that's all. It says, If it kicks at something, I it damages something maliciously with its foot, or troros, like pebbles or something like that, shoot out from under its foot, you pay half damages. You know, is it the same type of half damages? Troros and keren? So we've touched on that. We've seen that when the animal kicks at something, even though that's done with the foot, that's a told of Karen, which is Chatsi Nezek, and it's, but it's a Knas, that we one of the recent sugyas we had. Um, however, where it's walking along and a pebble, get, and it stands on a pebble which shoots out a thing, that's a told of Regal. Remember, that was the other sugya of Chatsi Nezek Soros. Um, so, so, so that's important. Even though they both half damages, they're very different type of half damages. If it's walking along and it stands on a clee and it breaks it, and that clee shoots off and damages other kalim, on the first one he pays full damages, and on the second one he pays half damages. Why? Why does he pay full damages on the first one? Because it's by way of him walking along and breaking. So that's full damage. When that clee, when those pieces shoot off and break another clee, well that's troros. So that's half damages. 
Similarly, by chickens, if they're walking along and they break things, that's muad, that's regal, and they'd be liable to full damages. If there was a string tied to his feet, or it was hopping around and it breaks kalim, it pays half damages. Rashi explains why, if it's hopping around, that's a normal way for chickens to move about, so why should it be half damages? So he says, I think it's based, yeah, based on the Gomorrah, we'll see not, um, that it's where it hops and it knocks something which knocks the cleats. So that's Strauss and that's why it's half damages. And similarly with the string, it's where the string that got stuck on its leg shoots off and goes and damages something. But if the, yeah, if the chicken would actually jump on something, or if it had a string on its leg and it's walking and that string gets tangled in something and causes it to break, that would be Nezek Shalem, full damages, because that's regular, regular regal. Um, okay, Amalei Ravidl Rava, Hainu Regal, Hainu Bahema. When we started off the Mishnah, we said, how is the regal muad and a Bahema is muad? It's the same thing. So Amalei Tana, Avos, Tani told us, now he wants to teach us both the Avos and told us. Ai, says, Ketzad HaRegal Muad. Remember, regal is the muad because it's mentioned in the Torah. And that's when it breaks by way of walking. And animals are also moored in any way that they break something in their normal way of moving around. So that's the tolda. So he says, safer. What about the safer? Now the safer is, uh, I don't know if it's the very next Mishnah, but it's a, late, it's a Mishnah coming up in uh, Tuta. I think it is. And there it says, Ketzad Hashem Mu'edes. How is the shame muad? And there, I'll just read it quickly from there. It says, Ketar HaShem Mu'edes. So how, what does a shame do to it? It says, To eat what's normal for it to eat. And HaBahema Mu'edes, an animal is muad. Lechel Peros Viorokos, to eat produce and vegetables. Now let me ask you, is one of those the av and one of those the tolda? Both of those the av. If it eats or if it eats, whatever it's eating, that's the av. So you can't give the same answer that that's the av. It says, oh, elamayata sefer diktani Hashem, Hashem mu'edet, habahemu mu'edet. My avos or my tolda sikah? What's the av and what's the tolda? So have a kamaharele b'dichusa. Rav answered him jokingly, a little bit playfully. He says, omalei ana shanai. I answered one of the questions. You answer one of the questions. It's, it's, it's your turn to do the work now. It says, uh, Omar, I once in a while tell, tell that to my students and say, yeah, no, I'm tired. You, you work out the Gomorrah yourself. Obviously, I mean, I want them to work it out and put in the effort, but it's a, a similar thing. So he says, but time am I? So what's the reason that it says two cases there? So Omar of Ashi, Tana Shane, it's teaching shame of a chaya and shame of a behema. Uh, what's the difference between a chaya and a behema? Behema is basically cattle and flock. And donkeys, I guess. Yeah, donkeys, horses, those sort of animals. Whereas a chaya could be a deer or a something like that, or dog. So you liable for shame, whether it's a chaya or a But it's a chaya or a behema. Salkadatach, I might have thought, Beshilach es beiro, when you send out beiro. Now, what's beiro? 
Be'ira, the Targum translates as Behema. So it's as if it's saying She'ilach, it's Be'ira Ksiv. The Pasuk says, Behema in Chayelos. I mean, it's that specifically if your animal goes out and eats, that you're liable. But if your Chaya goes out and eats, you'd be exempt. Kamash Melanda Chaya Behema. That's why our mission is teaching that a Chaya is included in an animal. Once in a, again, that's one of these words in the Torah when you see Behema and Chaya, they are specific. Behema refers to domesticated animals and Chayas are wild animals. But the Torah comes along and he says, um, um, but once in a while it uses Behema as a generic term. So that's what we're saying here. Oh, Yachi, Ho, Miboy Leila Shouldn't have a taught first Bahama. If Bahama is the normal one that's said in the Torah and then Chaya is the one that's learned out, shouldn't we teach Bahama first and then Chaya? But we taught Regal and then Bahama, I Chaya and then Bahama. It's not What the Tana learned out from a Drosha is more dear to him. I think the simple explanation of that is when you have to apply yourself to work something out, you enjoy it and you prefer it more, as opposed to something you just receive. Well then, by regal, we should also teach the one that is not taught explicitly. He says, no, how can you compare them? Over there, in the next Mishnah, they both avos. Whether it's a chaya eating or a shain eating, they both avos. So the one that came out from a drosh is more dear to him, he puts it first. But here it doesn't make sense to teach the tolder before the av. Even though the tolder is more exciting because you had to deduce it, it's not. You obviously have to teach the av first. Alternatively, you can say, We just remember we're carrying on from the, from the Mishnah a few days ago. So the, and that's teaching regal. So we want to carry on with regal, and then we go on to the tolders of regal. Okay, so we have two answers to the structure of the beginning of this Mishnah and the next Mishnah. We said that it, oh, this is a price elaborating on our Mishnah. An animal is muad if it walks in its normal way and it breaks things. Kate said, what are these? If an animal enters the courtyard of the nizak, the one who is being damaged, the victim, and it causes damage with its body walking around, or its hair walking around, it's flicking its tail and it causes it, or its mane gets caught on something. The saddle or the bridle of a shlif, the load that is on it, the bit in its mouth, the neck, the bell on its neck. A donkey with its load pays full damages. So all of these things, anything attached to the animal that in its normal way of walking cause damage, that's regal. And Tosos asks, wait, didn't we said in the previous case, um, which is the load on it, the load on the ox, and here we teach a a donkey with its load. Why do you need both cases? This isn't it the same teaching. So Tosos answers, and they say, because um, generally when you tie something on a donkey, you don't tie it as tight. So you might have thought it's more considered something like Tsroros than thing, but no, since it's attached to it, it's still considered regal. Okay, now Sumchus Oime Sumchus says, Tsroros Bechazir Shehoyo Noiver Ba'ashba, if you have 
Shroiros, a pebble shooting out, or a pig rooting in an ashba, a pile of rubbish, can they cause damage? Meshalem, Nezek, Shalem, you pay full damages. So Gemara asks, Hizik, Shita. Well, obviously, this, if this pig causes damage walking around, a pig wanders into your garden and starts rummaging by your dustbins and causes damage, obviously you're liable. So says, no. Ela Ema hitiz the Hizik. It causes something to shoot off and it damages. Meshalem, Nezek, Shalem, you pay full damages. Now, so what's Sumchus referring to? Tsroros and this pig doing something with this mouse. So first interesting, first surprising point for us that the Gemara is going to well, go into. Toss, we said, how much do you pay for Tsroros? Half damages. Sumchus clearly holds you pay. Full damages. Are we going to bring a few prices that will elaborate on that point? But a second interesting thing that Tosas point out is we've always said, what is Tsroros? Tsroros is a told of regal. And here, what's the pig doing? Trying to eat stuff. And it's causing Tsroros. Seems very at home. <laughs> um, so Tsroros, we generally say, is regal. Here it's the pig trying to eat something. So Tosso say we see that there's also Tsroros of shame. And I mean, that will have slight ramifications in, uh, I guess, how if an animal if an animal is trying to do something for its benefit and it causes Tsroros damage, we might have said that that's not Tsroros. Tsroros is a special halacha, regal. So Tosso is saying we see from here that it's by Shane as well. Other Rishonim might not agree with that, but that's how Tosso learns. Um, Rashi explains as the kol Anything that is damaged by the animal's force, as opposed to by the body of the animal, is considered tsroros. And chatzinezek, which, as we've just pointed out, now the Gemara, tsroros, who mentioned tsroros? If you look at the first part of the mission, it was an animal walking along and bumping something with its load, bumping something with its uh, bell, etc. What, what are you talking about, tsroros? It's, it's missing a piece, and this is how you have to read it. Tsroros ki urchayu chatzinezek. If it's Tsroros in its normal way, you pay half damage. And if it's a pig rummaging in an ashpa and it causes something to shoot off and damage, he pays half damage. Tsroros and a pig rummaging in the rubbish, the hitis. And it shoots off his again, causes damage. Mashalim, Nezek, Shalim, he pays full damages. Tan Rabbonin, again, we're going to see this Machloikes, Simchus, and Rabbonin in a few expressions. Tan Rabbonin, Taragonim, Shehoyum, Africhim, Bamakam, Shlemakam, Veshavru, Kalim, Bekanfeim. If you have chickens fluttering from, uh, flying around from place to place, and they damage things with their wings, Mashalim, Nezek, Shalim, he pays full damages. Beruashe, Bekanfeim. If it causes something to be damaged with the Air, the wind of its wings, then it only pays half damages. I'm just picturing a chicken like getting loose in the house and running around and you're trying to catch it and it flutters and causes something to fall over and damage. Sumchus Omar Nezek Shulam Sumchus Sumchus Omar says full damages like he says Vatsharos Tan Yirich another brayzer Tanagolim Shohoyu Mahadasim Al Gabe Isa Al Gabe Peiros if you had a chicken hopping around on dough or produce. The tinfu and it dirties them, or nokro, it pecks them. Mashalem nezek shalem, he pays full damages. Halu offer, 
What happens if it like causes dust to uh, sh- to go up, or troros, or pebbles to shoot out? only pays half damages. as we expected, says you pay full damages. Just interesting. Here we said uh, the chicken nikru. If a chicken pecks that dough, so obviously the owner of the chicken has to pay for the damages. Just Rashi here, it's, I always like it when it happens. Rashi once in a while gives the French, the French translation of a word. So if you look at Rashi here, the Nikru, the last word of the line is Nikru. It's kind of in line with the long line of the Gomorrah. It says the Nikru, it says, Bechartum Shelohem, with their noses, Chartum Shekoirin, Beak. So it's the same word in English and uh, in ancient friend, beak. Bezud kuf. Beak. Yeah, beak. So for chicken damages by pecking at something with its, uh, you're not going to say mouth, you're going to say beak. Um, There's another price which teaches if a chicken is flying around from place to place and wind goes from under its wind and it causes Kalim to break, he pays half damages. Stomach Rabbonim. This anonymous Mishnah must be Rabbonim. Because as we know, Sumchus would say you pay full damages. Sumchus makes a lot of sense because he holds something that you cause with your strength, your force, is like it's done itself. So the animal who through its kicking something or through the wind it creates should be loud. Makes sense why it's full damage. Zeller Rabbonin. But according to Rabbonin, Ikukufa dami kulenezik boile shalem. If you say it's kukufa, well then it should pay full damages. And Ilav kukufa dami chatzinezik nami loile shalem. And if you say it's not considered as if the animal did it, well then it shouldn't even pay half damages. So where does Rabbonin get this half damages? Sahadar Omar Rava Rava responded, Loilam kukufa dami. Really it is like it's body causing damage. General rule. You push something over and it breaks something, you're liable as if you did it. And so it's with your animal. The animal's walking by and it bumps something or causes a pebble to shoot out and it goes and causes damage or a chicken fluttering and the air goes and causes something to break. That's kozho kukufa. It should be full damages. And this, that you pay half damage for Torahs, I feel a quach of an animal, is a halacha l'moishu misinai. Now there's a famous question we've mentioned a few times, but the Maharat Chayos asks it here. It says we have uh, the Rambam in a few places, says that how do we, one of the, almost, we never find a machlokes for halacha l'moishu misinai. And he's kind of saying that's a, the Rambam's approach to how do we end up with Soma. If we say we have the oral Torah, which, we got, which is going back to Moshe, how do we get so many machlokes? What did we forget it? So it's chas v'shalom to say that our tradition is unreliable and that we forget it. He says well, what really happened is, uh, if I remember correctly, I might be getting this point wrong, but along the lines of Hashem told Moshe the Torah, he told him a lot of the explanations as well. Um, and that's what we call the oral Torah. Included in that is he gave Moshe the tools to work out the halachas from the Torah. Those are what we would call droshas and stuff. Now, obviously, he couldn't tell every single halacha. Besides, for it's impossible to say every single permutation of everything that would happen, what you're going to do. Um, 
some of it he couldn't explain to him, electricity, modern medical issues, things like that. So he had to give him the principles and the tools to learn out the halacha from it. That's what the oral Torah is. It an answer, and how do I prove? And therefore, when you have two sages discussing what's the best way to read the two the psukim or to resolve the contradiction to the two psukim, is that a klaprat or klal or ribui miut for ribui? Is this pasuk connected to the previous pasuk, or is it it's, or is it a new point? You know, all those sort of questions. That you have, once you have two different sages who think slightly differently. You're going to end up with two different answers. But both are following the Torah Shabbat Peh, and that's also why you can say, both are the truth, because that's the nature of the oral Torah, you've got to work it out as you understand it. And if you've done it correctly, well then that's, even though it's a different answer to your Chabrusa, it's a valid explanation, it's valid. But the proof that we've got a reliable tradition is that when you have halacha there's no machlokes. Now, here's one example. What have we seen very clearly? Sumcha says full damages, and Rob and Asana come and say that there's half damages. So that seems to go very much against the Rambam. So the, the Marot Chayos gives an answer here. I found it a little bit difficult to understand, so I'm going to give an ingenious answer by the Natsiv. Um, oh, because the Chabos Yo'ir, it's a response, so he asks, he brings a whole list of cases throughout Shas where we find Machlokes on Halacha Lamoish this, what's the Rambam saying? There's not a focus in this halacha. So he wants to say that the Nitzi wants to answer and say, when Hilchus Gemiri law means this halacha is a tradition. It's not saying it's what we clarify as halacha When the Gemara says halacha that exact phrase, that's what the Rambam's referring to, that there's no argument. And that's the proof that our oral Torah, going back to Moshe Rabbeinu, is pure, is not forgotten. However, when it uses phrases like Hilchus Gemiri law, they, they imply other sorts of traditions and therefore there can be machlokas. Very interesting answer, very, because Rashi always translates as Hilchus Okay, let's do a few more answers. Oh, my Rav, Rav says, Kol Shevazav, Tomei, Benazikin, Meshalem, Nezek, Shalem. Kol Shevazav, Tahor, Benazikin, Meshalem, Chazi, Nezek. Anytime a Zav would be, a Zav would make a Tomei, in the Zikin, he would pay full damages, and any time by a Zav, it would be tar. With the Zikin, he pays half damages. What's a Zav? So we know that's the person who has a certain type of discharge. What does it mean? So there are two interesting ways that a Zav causes tumor. One is Midras. If it sits on something, basically puts its weight on something, anything, even if it's not in direct contact, becomes Tomei. And similarly, another one is Heset. Anything that moves, even if it's not touching it, it would be Tomei. So if you picture it, you're carrying a pile of chairs, even the top chair, or a pile of clothes, or a pile of whatever it is, the top thing, even though he's not touching it, would become Tomei through Heset. So, and that, so what's that Nezek Shalem? Because that's the animal coming in, so where an animal would do similar, direct contact with it. Just, well, direct contact, I mean, in physical contact, there's a physical connection between the animal and the ultimate damages, just like the physical connection between the Zav and the thing that's sitting on the mattress, under the mattress, under the mattress. The one at the bottom becomes Tomei. So too with an animal, the load on its back. That's similar to Heset, or so whichever one it is, the animal would be, that, that's what you say, but if the Zav, if a Zav doesn't have direct contact, a Zav picks up something and he throws it and it hits something down there, so it wouldn't become Tomei. And again, if the Zav held something in his hand and moves it, so he takes this and he goes like that, it would become Tomei. But if he 
throws it at it, it would not become Tomei. So that's Tsoros, and that would be Chatzinezet. So that's what it says. Varoba Tsoros Hasulishim. So what? Rob is just coming to tell us the halacha of Tsoros. Very cute, cute connection that he's made between Zav and Tsoros. But I don't need it. What's Rob telling us? It says, no, Lorova Egla Moshech is Bakarim Komach Malon. Rob is coming to teach us about an, a wagon being pulled. I, a wagon being pulled is physically connected to the animal, even though it could be hanging on a ropes a few meters or poles a few meters away, it's still considered gufo uh, and would be full damages. And Tanya Kavai said the rover, we have a brazen line with rover. An animal is a muad if it breaks by way of walking. Kate said, what is this? If an animal goes and breaks with its body by way of walking, or its hair, or all of these we've seen before, you know, the bit, the saddle, the hair, the donkey's load. And even a wagon pulled, a cough pulling, a cow pulling a wagon, he would still pay full damages. We learned So there's a bucket hanging on a string and uh, chickens peck at the rope and it falls and it breaks the owner pays full damages I think let's actually leave it here and we'll see Robert's question which is connected to this tomorrow have a very good week